Hello and welcome to a new season of Jets football and a new season of Flight Deck. I'm your host, Rich Samini, and I'm happy to be back bringing you an insider's perspective of Jets football. I'm at the practices, I'm asking the questions at the press conferences, and I'll be at the games. And my hope is to bring you along with me. And we're going to do it with some great guests along the way, starting with the host of ESPN's morning show, Get Up, and a maniacal Jets fan, Mike Greenberg. Greeny will be with us soon. And remember, you can find Flight Deck wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the Jets open Sunday at the Carolina Panthers. A delicious matchup of Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson against their old team, who about 15 minutes ago seemed like they were the future of the Jets. But things change quickly in the NFL, as we know. Before we dive into week one, I just want to share a few thoughts on what I see for the Jets this season. Like I said, at all the training camp practices, a lot of observation here, a lot of talking to people, and here's some bullet points and what I see, the good and the bad. I, I see a faster team on both sides of the ball, and I think you'll see that especially at running back, cornerback, and linebacker. I think the offensive line is going to struggle early in the season, especially when they go up against big physical defensive lines. I watched the joint practices with the Eagles, and that's exactly what happened. This is a new scheme. It's an outside zone running scheme. It takes time to master. It takes repetitions. The starting five was not together in the preseason because of injuries. And Elijah Vera Tucker has no game reps. And Mekhi Becton, quite frankly, struggled in this new scheme, so this will take time. Corey Davis He's their wide receiver one. I see him with at least 1,000 yards this year. A sleeper on offense. This is going to surprise some people. Trayvon Wesco, their hybrid, their tight end slash fullback. He's going to surprise you. Let's talk about Zach Wilson. Maybe I buried the lead here, but Zach Wilson. In my ESPN.com bold prediction for the season, I predicted that he would be the first Jet quarterback since Joe Namath in 1967 to throw for 4,000 yards in a season. Of course, that comes with a disclaimer. We're at 17 games now. When Joe did it back then, it was only 14 games. I get it. It's a little different, but still, no one else has done it. Really, only one person has come close. That was Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Zach Wilson will go over that. He had a really good preseason, but I caution you, the degree of difficulty was not high. He faced only backup defenses. He had only one tight window throw, and he was not knocked to the ground once, not once in the preseason. All that considered, I still think he's going to do okay. I think he's going to overcome these rookie growing pains. Next, I think you're going to see a split between Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson in the backfield. Don't think Michael Carter factors prominently in that rotation. Elijah Moore, the rookie receiver, he's going to be the fun watch on offense. Trust me, he will be. I think Robert Sala is going to have to blitz more on defense than he'd like to. Without Carl Lawson, they don't really have a strong edge presence. I think John Franklin Myers and the new guy, Shaq Lawson, I see them as three to five sack kind of guys individually. So no, I don't think there's going to be a lot of edge rushing presence. They'll have to blitz. I think Quinnen Williams gets off to a slow start because he missed the preseason. I think Sheldon Rankins is a key on defense. If he's healthy, 
He will be disruptive. I think he and Williams could be very good together in the middle of that defensive line. The young quarterbacks will age Robert Sala this year. I understand the youth movement. It's rebuilding. I get it. I think they should have had at least one veteran in that room, one hold-the-fort guy, a stabilizing presence. They are all young guys. And I think that can get a little bit dicey when you don't have that one anchor. So I think that will be an issue throughout the season. Let's talk about Sala, their new coach. I made I, I watched him very closely. I've talked to him. Here are my impressions. He's an excellent communicator. He's smart. I don't know if you guys know this, but he actually was almost a master level chess player many years ago. He's a CEO type coach. I've watched him at practice very closely. He'll stand in the middle of the practice field, and it's almost like he's got his head on a swivel. He's looking offense. He's looking defense. He's looking special teams. He's an overseer. He actually does that in his office thanks to modern video technology. He's able to sit at his desk and just pop into the different meeting rooms and observe almost like a big brother watching type of situation. So he is going to let the coaches coach. That's good. I think he understands that he can't do it alone. Perfect example, uh, Matt Burke. They hired him in the offseason. He's their game management coach. They don't advertise him a lot. He's not even listed in the staff directory online. But he's an important guy. He's a former defensive coordinator. He's an Ivy League educated guy. He's very smart from what I understand. Never spoke to the man. He's kind of their Ernie Adams. He's going to be in the booth helping Sala with game management decisions. He helps him a lot during the week. Sala leans on him a lot. But I think it's good that Sala realizes he can't do everything. So he lets his coaches coach, and he delegates, he takes input. Uh, I think he's got all the bases covered, Sala, but there are a couple of questions. There are always questions with new coaches. He's an extremely positive and upbeat guy. I think sometimes, though, players need tough love. I'm curious to see if he can distribute, dispense that tough love when it's needed. There are going to be tough decisions along the way. He's a player's coach. Can he be the guy who benches a player in the middle of the game? Can he bench a starter, a veteran starter who's not performing? Those are things we're going to find out. How he manages the games. And I'm not just talking about situationally. I'm talking about just from a game plan standpoint. He's a defensive-minded head coach. And those guys, especially with rookie quarterbacks, tend to play conservative. You play to your defense. You run the ball. You shorten the game. You make him a game manager. Um, this defense, I don't know if you can do that. This defense is going to have some long days, and I think Robert is going to have to lean more on Zach Wilson than he probably wants to. So that is going to be an adjustment on the fly that will have to be navigated. Curious to see how he does that. But overall, I always go back and compare guys to the past. I think Sala is sort of a combination of Pete Carroll and Rex Ryan. He's got that that just eternal optimism of a Pete Carroll. And I'm not saying he's as bold and as has the swagger of a Rex Ryan, because quite frankly, I don't think any coach does. But he does have the confidence. It's more of an understated confidence. And so I think he's a Carroll-Ryan combo. And like I said, He's he's got all the traits you look for in a head coach. 
It has created a different vibe around the team. The players are buying in. The game plan is set for Carolina. Now all they got to do is go out and play football. We're joined now by the host of the ESPN Morning Show, Get Up, and also an ESPN radio host. And when he's not on TV or radio, he's rooting for and sometimes agonizing over his beloved New York Jets. It's great to have Mike Greenberg with us. Greenie, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. It's sort of an annual tradition, Rich, and I'm delighted to be back. It is an annual tradition, and for that, we're appreciative. But does this year feel any different than the other years in terms of buildup for the New York Jets season? I would say, yes, very different from years past, because I think that there is sort of an air of hopefulness around the franchise on on the part of fans, certainly on my part, um, that is unlike a way that I felt in a while. I remember at the very beginning of the McCagnan Bowles era, I felt as though the adults had taken over the building and I felt pretty confident. And um, obviously I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, But not since then have I felt as though I I really have a, a solid belief in the people who are in charge of the organization, which is to say the general manager, the head coach, and the offensive play caller. I have an extremely positive feeling right now about all three of those. That said, the future of the franchise will rise and fall more on the gifted right arm of the quarterback than it will those three guys combined. I I like, for the most part, everything Joe Douglas has done. I'm very high on Robert Sala, as I think everybody is. Um, and I feel, generally speaking, optimistic about the offense. But none of that will matter if Zach Wilson isn't what so many people are suggesting he should be or could be. And what makes me the most nervous, Rich, and you've been you know, in this your whole life as I have, so you know as well as I do, that it is all, historically with the Jets, it's always when you expect things to go best that they go completely awry. And vice versa. It's usually um, when you're expecting nothing that good things tend to happen. The level of optimism that I'm getting on Zach Wilson, and I'm not talking about from Jet fans, but I mean everyone from Steve Young on my radio show to Marcus Beers and Teddy Bruschi on my television show to obviously what Tony Romo said about a week and a half ago on the CBS call. Everybody is projecting greatness for this young quarterback and and any of us. And you're obviously there at practice. I'm just watching what little I can see. I mean, the arm talent is ridiculous. I have fallen in love with it like everybody else has. So ultimately, we will rise and fall based upon how good he turns out to be. But generally speaking, I would describe myself as more hopeful and optimistic than I have felt in a very long time. Turning back the clock just a few months, where were you on the hold, do we keep Darnold or do we trade draft a guy situation? Where were you on that and uh, your initial thoughts there on them taking Wilson? I was on the keep Darnold side, and I will tell you why. Um, In my opinion, there is no better position to be in in the NFL than to have a super high draft pick in a draft that has big-time quarterbacks in it and to not need one. Um, If you just look at what San Francisco gave up to move up to number three, it makes no sense to think they wouldn't have given at least that to move up to number two. So 
you could have set yourself up. Imagine the situation the Jets would find themselves in. And they already are fairly draft rich with the Jamal Adams trade and some other moves that I have liked, which have been shrewd by Joe Douglas. But just imagine where we'd be sitting now if we believed in Darnold and had all these extra ones and twos that we would have gotten. Um, so that said, and, and that is water under the bridge. I, I, I have long since I've said a million times, Sam Darnold didn't get a chance. Well, I would describe what the Jets did to him as sabotage. He had n- absolutely no opportunity to succeed. Uh, Christopher Johnson should apologize to him. Um, but all of that said, that's just water under the bridge. I mean, there's just there's nothing to be done about that now. So all you can do as a fan is go full speed ahead. And again, I am enthusiastic. I would be rooting for Sam week one against anybody but us. Like I'm I'm upset that we're playing the Donald ball week one because I really would like to see him succeed. Um, and obviously, I don't want to see that happen in week one. Let me ask you about Zach, though. I mean, other than your colleagues like Spears and Brewski raving about him. Like what, I mean, you've watched the preseason games. What jumps out to you about him? The, the very first pass he threw um, that out to Corey Davis, the ball was out of his hands and it got there so fast. I couldn't, I don't even, I, the camera couldn't follow it. I, my son and I are sitting next to each other, you know, watching this, the new era of Jets football. He has sat through, um, nothing but heartache in his whole young lifetime. And so we're sitting there watching and like this, the second that ball came out of his hands, we both just looked at each other. Like, did, did you just see that? I mean, there is the magical arm talent that people talk about with him is evident immediately. I, I'd like to ask you what concerns you about this year's Jets team. Here's what concerns me the most as a Jet fan right now, Mac Jones, Josh Allen, Maybe less so Tua because I'm a little bit less sold on him. But generally speaking, I think Buffalo has done an absolutely masterful job as an organization of developing a young quarterback. They're going to be a problem for 12 years to come. I think uh, Bill has got his quarterback in New England now. I think Mac Jones, that is going to wind up having been a brilliant, a typically brilliant Belichickian move. So I think the biggest problem the Jets have is the division remains a major problem. It was Brady forever. And now I think the combination of Allen and Belichick slash Mac are going to be something to deal with for a long time. Uh, you, you can't you can't control that piece. You can only control what you do. But I do think that is a consideration. I think the AFC East, which has generally been pretty bad, might be on the on the verge of being outstanding when you consider the young talented quarterback, including ours. Yeah. And you look back and it's like the Jets could have had Josh Allen. They passed on him. They didn't consider him nearly as closely, as highly as they did Sam Darnold. Josh Allen could not have succeeded on the Jets the last three years. If Sam Darnold had been drafted by Buffalo and Josh Allen had been drafted by the Jets in exactly the same circumstances and everything else was equal, I believe Sam Darnold right now would have a huge contract and would be on his way to being an NFL star, and the Jets would have been looking for a new quarterback. Johnny Unitas could not have succeeded in the circumstances that the Jets put Sam Darnold in. So, um, again, I give Buffalo all the credit in the world and give Allen all the credit in the world. He's obviously a good player, and they've done a fabulous job developing him. But they did the exact opposite of what we did to Darnold. And, And so 
I think it was less about the players than it was about the organization. Okay, so Greeny, here we are on the eve of the season. Like, what, what, in your opinion, is a what's a successful season for the Jets this year? Well, so when you are developing a young quarterback, and that's what makes this so frustrating, is it's the second time in four years that we're in this position again. Hmm. You have to be trying to do two things at once, and they don't always go together well. One of them is trying to win games, win as many games as you can, which, of course, is always everybody's primary objective. But the second is doing whatever is in the best interest long term of the development of Zach Wilson. And those two things don't always go together hand in hand. Um, I have been a little bit confused by not having a veteran presence there. Um, I actually think that the one time that they sat Sam Donald down with an injury that I thought was overstated so that he could sort of get a breather. His rookie year, you'll remind me of exactly when in the season that happened. It felt like it was sort of late in the year. He came back and played much better after that. Mm -hmm. Um, So they got to do whatever it takes to develop Zach Wilson. That is the single most important thing. The most important thing that can happen for the Jets this year, in my opinion, is that if you and I have this conversation again after week 17 or week 18, their 17th game, Mm -hmm. if you and I both feel like The good news is the Jets have their quarterback. We have found a quarterback. Zach Wilson is going to be the goods. Then it was a success. Then anything else that happens is great and and bordering on irrelevant because this team isn't nearly good enough to make the playoffs or anything like that. Not in that division, not in any division. So I think if we come out of this season saying the Jets have their quarterback of the future and he looks terrific, then it, and no matter what else happens, it was a success. So you're good with five and 12 or six and 11. If the season ends and the arrow was pointing up on Wilson, you take that and you jump and you're happily going into the off season where you have two first round picks next year, two second round picks. And you're good with that. Well, yeah. I mean, yes. Yes. My brain is good with that. I mean, no one likes sitting through five and 12, but I mean, this team was, was two and 14 last year. So, I mean, you have to accept, um, you know, improvement and progress wherever you can get it. Would I rather they go nine and eight? Would I rather they actually at one point in the season look like they might make a playoff run? Sure. But is there any Jet fan within the sound of our voice who feels like that's a realistic option? I mean, that that would be a lot to ask of this group. It, it would It seems unrealistic. They are definitively the fourth best roster in, in a four-team division. Uh, the AFC is loaded. I mean, you just start in every direction in which you look. The mm-hmm. AFC East has three really good teams. The AFC North has three really good teams. The AFC West has two and a half really good teams. The AFC South has at least one, maybe two really good teams, depending on Wentz in Indianapolis. So now the conference is absolutely loaded. For the Jets to be playing meaningful games in December feels unrealistic. So would I rather have that? Oh, obviously. But the direct answer to your question is, if the Jets are playing competitive games, if they're obviously getting better as the season goes on, if you're seeing good things out of the young talent that they have, and and you're seeing the arrow pointing sky high on the insanely talented Zach Wilson, and they're 6-11 and 11 at the end of the season, I think you realistically have to consider that a success. 
Yeah, I don't think, I mean, two and 14, it's hard to <laughs> do, flip that in one year. I mean, Mike, you know, I covered the Cotite Jets. I never thought I would see a team that bad. They're, in many ways, they were worse last year because they couldn't score. At least the Cotite Jets could score. And But last year, at some times, you, you didn't think they would ever reach the end zone. So they, they were utterly hopeless at times. And and so when you consider where they were a year ago, I think you have to keep that in the proper perspective when when looking at this year. Correct. And, and look, there was an element of no one likes to use the word tanking. And they weren't tanking to the extent that they weren't actively not trying to play and win games. But the organization and the general manager had taken the position that we are going to build this thing for the future. And if it means sacrificing along the way, we're going to do it. And mm-hmm. so that's why you trade Jamal Adams. And that's why you make some of the other moves that they made. And that's fine. I'm fine with it. But in the long run, that's that's ultimately how you get where you want to go. So I have zero issue with them having done it. And, and this is when you start reaping the benefit of it. You have the young quarterback to build around. You were able to start putting some pieces in place around him, particularly the linemen who, I mean, I did the draft this year. I did. I studied all these players, Elijah Vera Tucker, people loved coming into this draft. The jets were by no means the only team that were dying to bring him in. I love Elijah Moore. I loved him before. I thought he would be a top 18 pick in the draft. I thought he would go ahead of Kadarius Tony who went to the giants at 20. Uh, so I, I, I love the moves that they've started to make and the pieces they've started to put into place. But as I say, I, I think there are still, I don't know, anywhere between eight and 12 really meaningful personnel moves that they will have to make before they can be a legitimate contender. And I just want to ask you about, uh, this is a fan related question. I, I think most listeners know you're a native New Yorker. You, you've been rooting for the Jets your entire life. Is there ever a temptation, and, and this is coming from someone who does not root for teams because, you know, I'm covering them and so forth, but so is there ever a temptation to just bail on them? I mean, have you ever thought, and just going to another team or rooting for the oh. Giants or going to the Patriots, oh God, God no. forbid? No, 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 no. Um, it's been so hard no, no. For, for 10 years. I mean, it's no playoffs for 10 years. That's That's got to be rough. Look, I'm 54 years old. I, I mean, I, I I've never seen the Jets win. I, I you know they. I was told that I was watching when they, when <laughs> we won Super Bowl three. I was 16 months old. Um, no, this is something I was born into. My parents were, were season ticket holders when they were the Titans, and I. This is something I was born with. This is something I will live with, and this is something I will die with. And I hope that someday I get to see us win. And Oh, yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, there are times when I, I mean, you know well, because I text you all the time. Um, <laughs> you know how frustrated I get, as everybody does. Um, but no, the, the idea of, of it's like family. Like, you don't, you know, no matter how mad you get at your family, it's still your family. I mean, I, I think I once said this on Twitter, and a lot of fans, I think, really related to it. I will always love the Jets, even when I don't like them. Like, like there have been many times in my life as a fan when I did not like the Jets at all, but it didn't mean I don't love them. It'll always be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is this also, the Giants are not the team that I don't like. So and when you talk about the Giants, I, I've said this many times. Um, I grew up at a time in the 70s, the Jets and Giants were both terrible. And I never, I didn't consider the Giants to be a rival then. And I don't consider them to be a rival now. When the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl both times, I celebrated like my team had won. I've, I've, <laughs> especially the first one that kept the Patriots from going 17 and 0 or 19 and 0, excuse me. I've, 
that was as excited. I mean, I, I wouldn't know because the Jets have never been in the Super Bowl in my life. But when the Giants won that game, I was sitting by myself in a hotel room in Bristol, Connecticut, and I was jumping up and down in the room. The Patriots are definitively the team that I root against. The Giants, um, uh, geographically, other than the geographic piece of it, they're just another team. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say that as much as you bleed green, I will say this. When, when they're going bad, you know, you're, you're a straight shooter. You will be very critical of them on TV or on the radio. I've heard you say, you know, early on in the Adam Gase regime, I think you were ahead of the curve on it. You said, this guy's got to go, you know, and, and before, before it became a popular, you know, chorus among fans. So you will call it like it is. I will give you credit for that. No, look, Adam, look, I, I bear no animosity towards Adam Gase. I know he thinks I do. I don't. I probably went a little overboard when I said I wouldn't hire him to coach my son's little league team. But but at the end of the day, I mean, all kidding aside, just as objective as I can be, I don't know how you can do a job worse than he coached the New York Jets. Like, I, I don't know how you could be worse at any job than he was coaching the New York Jets. It started immediately. Let's not rehash this because it gets me frustrated, but it started yeah. immediately. He didn't want Le'Veon Bell, and so he decided to make a point of, of making sure everyone knew how much he didn't want Le'Veon Bell. And so in order to try and, and, and ultimately it worked, he got McCagnon fired. He got what he wanted there, but, but at the cost of what? And we brought in a player who was the most, the highest paid player, I think in franchise history at the time, and who had been the most productive, literally the most productive player in NFL history. And because of an agenda that he had, Adam Gaze decided that we weren't going to make it work. And that was the worst decision I've ever seen anybody make. And it just began a never ending snowball rolling downhill that we were never able to get out of the way of. So he was just absolutely terrible. We had nowhere to go but up from him. Um, that said, period, new paragraph, I really like Salah. And I think everybody does. And, 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 you know, back during the hiring process, Everyone who ever played for Robert Sala was raving about him. And when the Jets hired him, I got a ton of notes from people whose opinion I value saying, this is even better than you think it is. Like like this guy, as good as you think he's going to be, he's going to be even better. So I'm super optimistic. And and, and to go back to the beginning of, of, the, of this conversation, there is an, an, an air of hopefulness even if they wind up five and 12 this year, there are a lot of different five and 12s, right? Five and 12. Well, I guess there's never been a five and 12 before, but, but right. you know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of different ways to be generally lousy. And there is, a, I, I think there is a real path towards a very optimistic season, albeit one with a losing record. And, and um, I'm actually somewhat cautiously optimistic that that's what's going to happen. And I'm excited to see it unfold. All right. Well, Greeny, let's hope for your sake, we're doing this podcast a year from now and we're talking about, you know, how Zach Wilson has clearly entrenched himself as their long-term answer and the Jets are on the right path and they got two first round picks, you know, in the fold again and things are on the upswing. So for your sake and the sake of many others who are in your, in your shoes as longtime Jet fans, I hope that is the case. Me too. Let's hope that we are sitting here debating whether the Offensive Rookie of the Year award should go to Zach Wilson or Elijah Moore. That would be a delightful conversation to be having. 
Well, let's have it. Let's hope we can have it. Thanks, Greeny, so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Well, you're always there when I need you. Anyone who's listening to this should know. I text Samini all the time. <laughs> I, I am for, fan, for fantasy football notes. advice. Um, what we, so, well, sometimes, but, yeah. but also just jet stuff. Like, what are we doing with this? Why the hell is he doing this? What the hell is happening with him? I have a million questions and you always have answers. So it is my pleasure to get the opportunity to return the favor. Well, all good. Let's uh, let's talk again, hopefully next year. And we'll, uh, you got it. we'll, we'll see where it goes. All right, Rich. See ya. You've got questions, I've got answers. I hope I got the right answers, but we'll find out. And I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right to it. At Platinum DJNY, what are the main differences you see between Darnold and Wilson? And does it have a different feel than the optimism of Sanchez, Darnold, Geno Smith, and Nagel? I would say the optimism is most closely resembles when Sanchez came up his first year. Of course, you had the first year head coach there as well with Rex Ryan, so I see that parallel. With Geno Smith and Nagel, they should be eliminated from this sentence. Those were second-round picks. They were not considered quote-unquote franchise quarterbacks. In fact, Nagel wasn't even the best quarterback on the roster. It was Ken O'Brien, and Geno Smith was playing only because Mark Sanchez got hurt. So I, I think this is similar to the Sanchez situation. In terms of differences between Darnold and Wilson, I think Wilson for sure has a quicker release. He spins it better. Uh, I think he sees the field better and makes quicker decisions. Uh, that is based purely on preseason action. We know he faced only backups, so take that for what it's worth. You asked for my observations, and that's what I see so far. At Pate Wings Knee, do you think the cornerbacks are going to get torched all season? Well, it's a young group. They will have struggles they could be profound struggles at times, but I don't want to say they're going to get torched all season, and here's why. The Jets do not face a lot of above-average quarterbacks. Let's take a look. The first three opponents, you're facing two veterans who are on new teams in Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater, and then you have a rookie in Week 2 in Mac Jones. So the schedule is not daunting. When they go against a smart, experienced quarterback, they will have trouble, and they will get picked apart on certain days. Now, the Jets don't face a lot of those guys. You have Tannehill, Week 4. You have Matt Ryan, although his supporting cast isn't as good as it used to be. You got Josh Allen twice. That's going to be a big problem. And you got Tom Brady at the end of the year. Those guys will be problems for these young corners because they're basically so smart at quarterback and have, in many cases, have the weapons to just completely exploit their inexperience. But maybe the season doesn't get off that way because they do not face some big-time quarterbacks. At Big Nit Fizzle, Nit Nif Tizzle, sorry, I'm getting my izzles wrong. Once the trade deadline approaches, could you see the Jets possibly moving Marcus May, especially if Ashton Davis comes back strong? Uh, yes, I could see that. The, the one thing that Lee tells me maybe not, Marcus is getting paid a lot of money this year, and by midseason, he's still going to have roughly $5 million guaranteed left on his contract. That is a lot for a safety. I think it would have to be a circumstance where you have a contending team that loses a safety and is desperate to take on that kind of salary at midseason. Of course, the Jets would have to be out of contention as well. And I do believe 
that Marcus May will not get a long-term deal from the Jets. I think if they truly wanted to do that, they would have done it this past offseason. I could absolutely see them franchising him again. And you can bet his name will come up in all the trade rumblings that always happen that time of year. Also, Jamison Crowder as well. Next, from at Jason Oakey. I believe you stated the Jets intended to bring back James Morgan at quarterback. Do you believe Morgan has a high enough ceiling to be a good backup? Morgan, of course, now with the Panthers practice squad, perhaps not coincidentally. And no, I don't think he has a high enough ceiling to be a backup. Joe Douglas would disagree with me because he drafted him in the fourth round, but I just haven't seen it from him. I truly haven't. He struggled throughout the preseason, except for that fluky Hail Mary type drive at the end uh, against Philadelphia. And I think he made that lateral move because he sees better long-term growth possibilities in Carolina where the quarterback is Sam Darnold, who, let's face it, is basically on a one-year audition compared to New York, where Zach Wilson is going to be the quarterback for at least three years. We know that. So that's why he made that lateral move. Publicly, the Jets said all the right things. Behind the scenes, I think there were a couple of feathers ruffled. I think they were uh, hoping and perhaps even expecting Morgan to come back to them on the practice squad where they could further develop him. Next, from at Bird Carries, who's the most impressive arm talent you've seen since you started covering the team? Well, there's been some good arms. I mean, Brett Favre, before he got hurt, had a really, really good arm. But I'd have to say Vinny Testaverde, even at that stage of his career in the late 30s, man, he could just sling it. Bill Parcells always used to say that, you know, you could knock on Vinny's door when he's 50 years old and he could come out and start throwing, you know, bullets around. He had that kind of arm. And so I would say Vinny Testaverde, who was just a magical in the 1998 season for the Jets. And speaking of Vinny, I actually did speak to him the other day. We're doing a 20-year anniversary of 9-11 through the eyes of Testaverde, and that will be posted on Friday on ESPN.com. And Vinny had some great stuff. You want to check that out. And our last question from Matt PMAC0603. Mac, you did a day in the life of a beat writer during training camp. Could you do another version making it during a game day. That is a great idea, Mac, PMAC. I will do that. I think it was pretty warmly received. I think I got a lot of positive feedback. The one concern there is that my editor, which happens to be my son, is away at college right now. So that might create, complicate the production process a little bit, but I'm glad you guys like that. I will try to do a video version, in case you didn't catch it, it was on Instagram. It was about six minutes, and I will try to recreate that for a day in the life of a beat writer during game day. And here we go. Week one, Jets at Panthers. It's the Darnold Bowl. We've been building this up for a few months. The Jets facing their former franchise quarterback, the former quarterback who we all thought would be around for 10 or 15 years. But we all know what happened. We won't get into that. We won't rehash the history. I can tell you this. At the time of the trade, just from talking to people in Darnold's inner circle, he was deeply, deeply stung by this trade. Even though there were rumors out there for weeks and months, he honestly didn't think it was going to happen. He thought he'd be here for the rest of his career 
And so he was he was fairly blindsided by it. Now he gets a chance for a little redemption. I don't know how much that's going to play into the outcome. I think it really comes down to some matchups. And unfortunately for the Jets, Sam Darnold has the best player in the game on his team. And that's Christian McCaffrey, the outstanding running back. I think McCaffrey's pass-receiving ability will create all sorts of problems for the Jets. I mean, how are they going to cover him? You know, you, it's a mismatch to have a linebacker on him. The Jets are so young at linebacker. Jamie and Sherwood is likely to start at the Sam linebacker spot. I'm not sure who they're going to start at weak side. Uh, you're going to put C.J. Mosley on him. You know, Mosley is not great in pass coverage, even though he does look a little quicker this year. That's still a tough cover. They're going to have all sorts of problems. In 2019, when he was healthy, McCaffrey caught 116 passes. That's all I'm going to say. Darnold, not known for throwing to the running backs, but he'd be an absolute idiot if he does not make use of Christian McCaffrey. Uh, so this is really the worst possible matchup for the Jets, a running back matchup in week one for a young defense to be facing this type of running back with so much versatility. Another matchup that's a concern, you know, Brian Burns, their outstanding left defensive end. He'll probably be going against, uh, I think Morgan Moses will get the start for the Jets. You know, George Fant is in that consideration. I think when push comes to shove, it'll be Moses winning that starting job. It's a tough job. You know, this offensive line is going to have a tough go here. This Carolina front is good. They, they're they big. Their interior has Derek Brown and Daquan Jones. They're 320 pounds apiece. I think it's going to be tough for the Jets in their new outside zone scheme to create gaps in that horizontal style running game. These are big fellas, and so that's a matchup that's not going to bode well for the Jets. You know, I think their best chance, obviously, is to get Darnold to far, to turn the ball over. If I were them, I would rush four and drop everyone into cover two. Darnold had the lowest QBR in the league last year against cover two. We know what happens. He gets impatient against the zones. He tends to force the ball. His eyes get lost in those zones. So if I were the Jets, and I think... You know, they are a zone-based team. I think you'll see a lot of cover two, a lot of cover three against Darnold. And uh, I think Zach Wilson's going to play well in this game. I really do. I don't think he'll. the moment will be too big for him. And let's face it, the Panthers have a young secondary, too. We, we're talking about the Jets' young corners. You know, they're starting J.C. Horn. All right, he's a first-round pick. He's still a rookie. The guys behind him in the slot are young. I can see the Jets doing some damage in the passing game, but I do think it will be tough to run against those folks up front. So I actually see a fairly high-scoring game here. I see Panthers winning 31-24. The defenses, uh, you know, the Panthers, not great on defense last year, but they do have some impact players. Jeremy Chin, Burns, I think Derek Brown's going to be a really good player. He was a high draft pick last year. So I think the, the Panthers are just a better team right now. They're more experienced in their systems. It's all new for the Jets. The Jets' one chance, as I said, is to get Darnold to have one of those games, to get him, and to quote an old line, to get him to see ghosts. That's the Jets' mission in this game. But like I said, I think it'll be Panthers eking out a close win, 31-24 over the Jets. And that's a wrap for our Week 1 Flight Deck podcast. I want to thank our special guest, Mike Greenberg, for joining us. That was a great conversation. Thank you to my producer, Jeff Scopin. We'll be back next week to talk about Jets 
Patriots for the home opener. Looking forward to it. Thank you, the listener, for following along. And we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.